0: This evening we're going to consider God's power seen in creation. God's power seen in, in creation, looking at Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through to verse 32. The last two verses of the passage that we looked at last week are, I think, pivotal to understanding how any of us natural-born sinners can ever be acceptable to a holy and sin-hating God. It is only by believing the gospel of Christ that people are saved from their sins and they receive everlasting life. Let's look at those two verses, the last two verses of the passage that we considered last week, verses 16 and 17. Very important verses in the grand scheme of this letter. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. All who believe live everlastingly in the righteousness of God, having abandoned all merits of their own. As the hymn writer said, Not the labours of my hands can fulfil thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. From chapter 1, verse 18, we're starting today at chapter 118, from that verse all the way through to the end of chapter 11, Paul expounded the truth that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. It's a lot of chapters devoted to that truth, isn't it? It gives you some idea how important it is. We certainly won't be looking at all of that today. However, we shall be considering the remaining verses of chapter 1, in which Paul began to prove that without the righteousness of God that comes through faith in the gospel of Christ, all are condemned. If you can remember that all who believe the gospel have the righteousness of God, what we shall consider today by way of stark contrast is the unrighteousness of all who suppress the truth concerning God's creative power and who worship creatures instead of the creator God. Far from meaning salvation and everlasting life for them, it means damnation and everlasting destruction. Let's have a look at verse 18 in Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. If you underlined and highlighted righteousness in verse 17, the righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel that's what we all need that righteousness highlight it underline it put it in bold print what we're now looking at in bold print highlight underlined all the rest of it is the unrighteousness obviously that is something that is not good at all <clears throat> verse 18 starts with four and that indicates the relationship between verse 18 and the preceding verse. Having previously told us that salvation and everlasting life are only available through a righteousness of God that is by faith, Paul pointed out that without that righteousness of God, the wrath of God abides on sinful men. The wrath of God is not an uncontrollable and unwarranted anger to which men are prone, some more than others. Rather, the wrath of God refers to God's constant and controlled indignation towards sin. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel of Christ. But as we see in verse 18, this is the flip side now, in verse 18... The wrath of God is revealed in heaven, and it is far-reaching. There are many examples in the Bible of the wrath of God being revealed in heaven, such as when the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and when the earth was flooded in Noah's time, and only eight people were saved. Noah and his family. That all points to a future time that God has appointed when the Lord Jesus Christ will descend from heaven and judge everyone who has ever lived. The wrath of God is against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We see that in verse 18. Those two descriptions of men can be viewed separately where ungodliness... Is in, in connection with religion and worshipping God. And unrighteousness is to do with morality. When you put the two things together, ungodliness and unrighteousness, they describe rebellion against God, where ungodliness refers to a, a lack of reverence for God, and unrighteousness refers to a lack of reverence for God's laws. Ultimately, it's all about rebellion against God. Such people hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, they deliberately hold down the truth and they suppress it instead of simply believing it. Let's have a look at verses 19 and 20. Because that which may be made may be known of God is manifest in them For God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." There's a lovely paradox in those two verses. The invisible or unseeable things of God are seeable in creation. The preserva- uh, In creation, in the preservation and in the government of our universe, we see the invisible power of God in creation. We see those things with our own eyes, and even though our understanding may be limited, There is plenty for us to see and understand in creation that ought to convince every one of us of God and of his power so that men are without excuse. As it is written in Psalm 19 verses 1 through to 3, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Creation ought to make people seek God. As it is written in Acts chapter 17, verse 24 through to 28, God that made the world And all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and have made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us for in him we live and move and have our being. However, far from feeling after God and finding God, people suppress the truth, and they deny God. The world generally does, and you even get pastors who do that. A very prominent pastor in New York, with a big congregation, a reformed pastor. He says, for example, that Genesis chapter 1 is to be read as poetry. Tim Keller is his name. Look him up yourself. Tim Keller, a famous preacher. And he says that that Genesis chapter 1 is poetry. So, this is the problem. You know, it's between him and God, but you just wonder, when people professing Christians, they speak like that, they reject the six-day creation that is presented to us in Genesis chapter 1. Then you wonder what else they reject. Do they believe that Jonah was swallowed up by a whale? And spat out onto dry land? Jesus did. Because Jesus makes mention of it. And then when you follow it all through. To a logical conclusion. Do they really believe that God was manifest in the flesh? And do they really believe that... The incarnate Son of God was nailed to a cross and lifted up to die. Because, you know, if that takes some believing, if you can't believe something simple for God, like that he created the heavens and the earth in six days. And do they actually believe that when people become Christians, they are made new creatures in Christ? Because for me, that is even more fantastic than creation itself. Making something out of nothing, as God did in creation, that's amazing. Only God can do that. But then to make a new creature in Christ out of sinful flesh, that's something else. You have to wonder what these people believe. When they are selective like that. And a clear account of creation that is given to us at the beginning of the Bible. Poetry. And you see that whenever creation is spoken of in the Bible, the Bible doesn't even try to explain things. It declares it for what it is. God, creator. Jesus, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You believe these things, or you suppress the truth. And this is about suppressing the truth, denying ultimately God. Well, look at verses 21 through to 23. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God, into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Everybody has good reason to thank God for his goodness towards them. For example, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, Jesus said, He, that is God, God maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just, and on the unjust. Yet men still refuse to bow down before God. (coughs) Clearly it is wrong when someone does not acknowledge and show appreciation and gratitude for the good that others have done for them. You might expect a thank you You're not looking for it, but you kind of expect a thank you if you do someone some good. How much more so when the one who has done good is almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, who is worthy of all praise and adoration. We ought to praise God and thank him for what he has given us. (coughs) The consequence of a person refusing to subject his thoughts to what God has revealed about himself in nature, in the conscience, and most of all in the Bible, is that their foolish hearts are darkened and that leads to mental and emotional despair. You'd be surprised how many people who suppress the truth about God suffer with mental anguish and physical Sin, it impacts on all of these things. Also, we see, we shall see rather, in the remaining verses of chapter one, it leads to moral depravity when you suppress the truth about God. As Paul said in Ephesians chapter four, verse 17 through to 19, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, That ye henceforth walk, walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. That means that they are driven by lust. This is people who walk in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened. They are given over to lust. To work all uncleanness with greediness. All who refuse to acknowledge God, though they claim to be wise, the reality is very different. For example, in Psalm 115 verses two, two to eight, it is written, "Wherefore should the heathen say, "Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he have pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears but they hear not. Noses they have, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. You think, how ridiculous is it? How foolish can people be that they would worship carved idols, images made from wood. I've seen many, I've seen it many times when I lived in India. Little shrines all over the place and people bowing down before carved idols. Do we have in view here only people like Hindus? Hardly. Sinfully foolish people on this island bow down and worship mortal and sinful human beings such as movie stars, football stars, pop idols. In fact, people who suppress the truth of God will worship anyone and anything except for their maker, almighty God. As for worshipping four-footed beasts, even Israel of old exchanged the glory of God for an image of an ox that munches grass. For example, in Psalm 106, verse 19 through to 21, it is written, They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forget their saviour, which had done great things in Egypt. It seems unbelievable that Egypt, having sorry, that Israel, having seen the power of God when he separated the Red Sea and gave them an escape route from Pharaoh and his army, they still worshipped A molten image as soon as Moses had gone up the mountain to receive the law from God. Moses came down from the mountain. They were dancing around naked and worshipping an idol. But that is precisely how foolish people are with their sin darkened hearts. Let's have a look at verses 24 to the end of the chapter. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust, one towards another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet, And even as they did not like to retain God, In their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God... Despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Before anything else, note the close connection between the idolatry of those who suppress the truth in verse 23 and the sexual immorality that is spoken of in verse 24 to the end of the chapter. Those two things go together hand in hand. Sexual immorality and suppressing the truth, worshipping idols, suppressing the truth. It all comes together. For example, it's fair to say that when the Jews of old bowed the knee to idols instead of to God, the creator God, homosexuality spread. That's a fact of the Bible. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 22 two to 24, it is written, And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they had committed, above all that their fathers had done. For they also built them high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. So there's the idolatry. Instead of going in the temple in Jerusalem to worship God, they worshipped idols in the high places. Bowing down before the, the creature or the created thing instead of the creator. It goes on to say, and there were also sodomites in the land. Sodomites, in other words, homosexuals in the land. And they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Let's make no mistake about this. The Bible makes it very clear that homosexuality is an abomination. What that means is it is detestable. That's what, de- that's what an abomination means. In Revelation chapter two, verse 20, Jesus said the following concerning the church at Thyatira. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Do you see the two things going there? the sexual immorality and the idolatry. Inseparable. Are things any different in the 21st century here on our island and further afield? Not at all. We have seen laws being passed that make homosexual relationships acceptable. Homosexual relationships are flaunted, Flaunted by our politicians, in our pushed in our schools. It wasn't so many years ago. It may sound a long time for the young ones in here. But for me, 20 odd years ago isn't a long time. When the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Mrs Thatcher, she made it illegal to promote homosexuality in schools. How times have changed in such a short time. And homosexuality is being flaunted in our police forces. Ironically, those who speak out against wickedness are castigated and, if you please, they are demonised by those who are in effect doing the desires and the deeds of their father, the devil. Note that in three places... Paul said that God gives the wicked over to their vile affections. Namely, verse 24, look at verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through their lusts, the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonour their own bodies between themselves. And verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto their vile affections, For even their women did change the natural use unto that, into that which is against nature, speaking about homosexuality there. And verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Three times in that passage, God giving them over to their wicked and vile affections. Even then, even then, it is only after an incomprehensible amount of patience and long-suffering by God that he gives people over to their vile affections. For example, in Psalm 86 and verse 5, it is written, For thou, Lord, art good, and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. A merciful God. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, it is written, And the Lord passed before him, passed before Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth i don't know about you but i'm sure i'm not the only one when i read about god being gracious merciful and long-suffering i sigh a big relief for when i think of my own life and i thank god for his long-suffering With regards to the church at Thyatira Jesus gave them time to repent of their idolatries and their accompanying fornications. An example of the long-suffering of God. Finally, we've seen the unrighteousness of people who do not give thanks to God or even acknowledge his existence. Instead they embrace Evolutionary lies and they worship created things. Even when the creator took upon himself flesh and dwelt amongst men, people hid, as it were, their faces from him. They rejected him. They received him not. They despised him. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against such people. Make no mistake about it. If you reject Jesus and his gospel, the wrath of God abides on you, even now as I speak. If you have not received Jesus as your Saviour from sin and your Lord, the wrath of God is upon you. However, as has already been seen, salvation is found through faith in Jesus and his gospel. The fact of the matter is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That includes people who have committed the most heinous sins, such as the things we've been considering this evening in verse 29 and verse 32. I haven't even gone through them. We'd be here all night if I went through all of those sins listed uh, in that passage. But you can see for yourself. They are terrible sins, the most depraved sins. And Christ Jesus came into the world to save depraved people. For example, in Corinth, where Paul wrote this epistle, it was a city that was notorious for sexual immorality. So much so that in 1 Corinthians... Chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul said to the Christians in Corinth, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he said to them. But Paul went on to say, and such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Do I hear an amen to that? Therefore, by the grace of God, their faith in Jesus and His gospel saved them from all of those terrible vices. A Christian is someone who says, or at least ought to say, there go I but for the grace of God. If that is not you, repent, believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, and for everlasting life, be washed and cleansed of your sins in his precious blood, and be clothed in his righteousness. Amen.